God of creation, thank you so very much for the world that you have created for us, that you've created us, that you've given us life and hope and meaning all through Jesus Christ, our Savior, revealed to us by him, revealed to us in your word. And I pray, Father, as we spend some time really just focused on the word of God today, that you would help us to hear your voice. God, as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies were formed. All it took was a word. Let us recognize and rest in your incredible power today. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you ready? It's a long passage today. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. That's where we ended last week. And in our last message, we discussed the importance of entering the rest of God. We enter his rest, according to verse 10 of this chapter, by ceasing from attempting to earn our own salvation or to earn favor from God, and instead we rest in the finished work of salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection. In verse 11, we're encouraged to be diligent to make an effort to enter that rest by not following the example we are given in the word of God of those who were disobedient, right? The Bible gives us a great number of examples of people who were disobedient, specifically the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and how they failed to enter the rest of God because of their disobedience. They failed to cease from their works and rest in the finished work of God. And the Bible here is telling us not to do that. But instead, instead, to understand that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and of the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So if we want to enter the rest of God, if we want to cease from our works and rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross, knowing that his death and resurrection bring us life and salvation and redemption, if we want to understand our own hearts, our own disobedience, those things that would keep us from entering that rest, well, we're going to do so through the word of God. So, verse 12a. Oh yeah, it's that day. Verse 12a says, for the word of God. And we're going to stop there for a little bit. The word of God, the word here for word, how many times, somebody should keep count of how many times I say the word, word today, right? Word. The word of God, right, is alive, filled with power. It's sharp and discerning, and we're going to look at all of that in a moment, but we're going to focus on the word, the logos, 
or depending on if you pronounce Greek a little better than I do, some people say logos, but I, that just bothers me. So I say logos. And the word logos means reasoning, divine expression, or communication. Reasoning, divine expression, or communication. The word of God is the reasoning of God, the divine expression of God the communication of God. And there's a few things that we need to focus on, uh, seven to be exact, um, probably more if we took more time, but when I got to seven, I'm like, I better stop or we're never gonna get beyond the first four or five words. So first, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the ultimate expression of who God is communicated to us. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word. It's the same word in Greek, logos. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the divine reasoning, expression, and communication of God. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, how do we know from that that Jesus is the Word? Because if you skip up to verse 14 in John chapter 1, it says, And the Word, the Logos, the communication of God, dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the very expression of communicated to us in human form. He, of course, is God, according to the verses we just read. So that's the first thing we need to know about the Word. The Word is Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And, oh, I skipped ahead to number three. But if you want to know Him, read His Word. Because this is how we know Him. Right? And, and I say this a lot, there's nothing wrong with experience. We were at camp, uh, not last week, but the week before. Amazing experiences. This week, very busy, but some amazing things happened this week. Experiences that I think we'll carry with us for the rest of our lives. But experience, well, it fades. Experiences can change. Emotions can change. Situations can change. So our faith needs to be sat founded on something much more solid than our experiences. And that is the word of God. The end of Matthew chapter 7 talks about how when we hear his sayings and do them, right, we're obedient to the word, then we're founding our lives on the rock. An unmovable foundation. Number two, the word of God is useful to us for every facet of our life, walk, and maturity in Christ. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love this passage. One, it teaches us that the word of God is inspired by the spirit of God. Yes, God used human people. Human people. Are there any other kinds? 
human people to write it down. But it was still inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's profitable for us because it teaches us. Right? When we, it teaches us how not to do wrong. When we do something wrong, it reproves us. Right? Telling us we've done something wrong. Then it corrects us. Shows us how to get off the path of wrong and back onto the path of right. And then it instructs us in righteousness so we don't go back on to the path of wrong. Why? So we can be complete or mature, thoroughly equipped for the good works God has called us to. Number three, the word of God is necessary for faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I kind of already touched on that, but if you want a solid faith in Christ, you want a solid walk. You want one that's not going to be shattered and shaken every time something difficult happens in your life. Then you found it upon the rock of God's word. And not just by hearing, but by being obedient to it, as I mentioned before. The word of God is necessary for us to find our way. Psalm 24, 4 and 5 is a prayer that came up in a message a couple weeks ago and has been coming up a lot in my life lately. But show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. So often people come and think, well, I'm not, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what path to take. Which way do I go? Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I, do I leave? Do I stay? What do I do? Well, my suggestion is always, if you want to know the will of God, get into the Word of God. It's that simple. Now, is the Word of God going to be real specific about His will for you? Should I move to Gunnison and take over a new song? There, there is no first Jason 119 that specifically lays out the plan for my life. But if your life is founded upon the truth of God's word, then God will reveal to you the specifics in various ways. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you want to know which way to go, get into the word. The word of God is essential in keeping us from sin. Psalm 119, 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The same thing from 2 Corinthians 3. Reproves us, corrects us, instructs us in righteousness. If you want to live a life that honors God and you want to live a life where you're not constantly running after sin, which I think most of us would say we want, hopefully all of us would say we want, get into the Word. The Word's going to teach us how to do that. And the Holy Spirit's going to empower us so we can. The Word of God is eternal. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. This will follow us, or we will follow this into eternity as we follow Christ. The word of God is eternal. There's not one thing written in this book. Not one. Jesus said not one yacht, not one iota, or yacht or tittle, depending on your translation, Right? Not one period, not one exclamation point, not one umlaut. Uh, one of them is kind of like an umlaut, you know, the little dots over a letter. But those are simply punctuation marks. 
right? Not even the punctuation will fail to come to pass. Everything is your will. And then finally, and this is one of the most important ones, we must never mess with or alter God's pure work. We must never mess with or alter God's pure word. Proverbs 35 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I want you to consider those statements, because there are others. If you, at any time, and in any way, disagree with this book, you're wrong. I say that a lot, I know. Um, if you try to add something to it that doesn't belong in here, God will call you a liar, according to Proverbs 30, 5 and 6. If you try to add something to this book that's not already in here, God will add to you the plagues that are written in this book. I've read it. There's big hailstones and fire and lakes where the worm never dies. I don't want that. And if you take away from any part of this book, God will take your name out of the book of life. He will take your name, your part, away from the holy city and all the things written in this book, all the good things, all the promises. Now, I know that, that kind of sounds harsh, doesn't it? But it's not mine. I didn't write that. And if I were to tell you anything less, then I would be taking away from this book. If I were to tell you there was another way to salvation besides through faith in Jesus Christ alone, I would be taking away from this book. If I were to tell you that some sins are okay, then I would be taking away from this book. I don't want to do that. I don't want my name taken out of the book of life. I don't want the plagues of this book added to me. I don't want God to look at me and say I'm a liar. So when the Bible calls something sin, we call it sin. When the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to heaven, we say Jesus is the only way to heaven. When the Bible says don't mess with me, well, we don't mess with it. You know, and that means sometimes we've got to talk about stuff that's not popular we got to talk about stuff that goes against the culture we live in. We have to say some things are wrong when the world doesn't want them to be wrong. And we have to tell the world what, what's right even when they don't want to hear it. Not always fun, but it's what God has called us to. And he will empower us to do so. That's the word of God. Verse 12b. The word of God is. The word of God is living and powerful. 
The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Knowing the extreme and primary importance that the word of God must have in our lives, let's take some time to explore what this verse says to us specifically about the word of God. The word of God is living. The word in Greek for living here is, is zao, zao. You can say that three times fast. It means to live, to be alive, or to be quick. Some translations put this word as active. The word of God is active. So either living or active, either way, whatever way we slice it, the word of God is alive, both in the fact that Jesus is alive and by the fact that the word of God is alive to us. Psalm 147 verse 15 says, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. The word is alive. And I can tell you this. I've been a Christian now uh, for a little over 25 years. I have been studying this book. The entire time. And you know, it doesn't matter how many times I read it. It doesn't matter how, how well I have a specific passage memorized or any of that. Every time I get to it again, it's always something new. You can go deeper and wider. And sometimes I'll get to a passage that I've had memorized and I've read a hundred or a thousand times, who knows? And I'll get to that passage, but that day the Holy Spirit wants to speak to me through it. And there's places in Scripture that I, nobody saw that. I did not drop my Bible. Sometimes I get to places in Scripture where I am just boggled because I know I've read it before, but it feels like I'm reading it for the very first time. And the more we grow, there's, you guys, Chronicles of Narnia. I love the Chronicles of Narnia. Something that never came through in the books or in the movies, I think they mentioned it once in one of the movies, but it, it shows up several times throughout the books, is that every time the kids, the main characters of the book, see Aslan, who's the lion, he's the Christ figure in the book, every time they see him, he seems to be bigger. And he says, well, that's because you're bigger. And every time you get bigger, I get bigger. And I love that because I think that's the way the word is for us. Yeah, maybe we grow, maybe we mature, hopefully. Well, hopefully we're growing, hopefully we're maturing, you know. Perhaps you spend time studying the various aspects of theology or the various aspects. You get into Greek, you get into Hebrew, you start reading commentaries, and you grow and you learn. And, and the word of God will do what? It'll grow. Right? Not change. It's not like there will be more books or more scriptures, but it'll grow in the perspective that the more you get into it, the more there is to get into. I love the Bible for that reason. The word of God is powerful. And I love this word in Greek. It's energase. It's where we get our word energy. It means that it's active, that it's operational, that it's effectual that it's powerful. In other words, the word of God is constantly working. 
Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God is constantly working, even if you don't know it, even if you don't realize it. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes our minds get focused on other things. And then the spirit will quicken us and allow us to remember a passage or will bring a specific verse to mind that will help us in that moment. Or maybe we're just prompted to open it. I can't tell you how many times I've needed comfort. And I open the Bible just for my normal day. Get up in the morning, I read my Bible and pray every morning, typically. And I'm in a passage that just tells me exactly what I need to hear. Because the Word of God is always working. And the Word of God is always going to accomplish what God sends it forth to accomplish. Now, we might not see it. We might not see it right away. We may never see it. But his word will never be void. It will always accomplish what he sends it to accomplish. That should be very exciting to us. And there's power in that word. When you get into... Um, and we're going to talk about this. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But there's power in the word because the word is one of the offensive weapons we have in the full armor of God. Right? The word and prayer. Those are our offensive weapons. You want to fight the good fight that's in front of you? You want to know how to battle the enemy when he's tempting you? Jesus showed us. We use the word. This is a sword. This is our sword. And not only is it our sword, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Now I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you on your own could sit here right now and discern the difference between your soul and spirit? I can't. Right? I, I can't discern the difference between my soul and spirit. How many of you right now on your own could dig in to the difference between your bone and the marrow inside of it? I mean, I suppose if you really tried and you were in the mood for a lot of pain, you might be able to do that, but you would need an extremely sharp instrument to get there. The Word of God can do that. The word sharper is tomos, T-O-M-O-S, and it means to cut incisively or to cut keenly. I have been sliced open on multiple occasions. Uh, some of you probably have too. Some of you have probably been sliced up worse than I have. Uh, but some of them, uh, what always amazes me is uh, several of the procedures I've had were laparoscopic. Boggles my mind. They make an incision couple inches maybe. Uh, I had one, the worst one I've ever had was in my belly button. They went in through my belly button. That was my gallbladder. That was very unpleasant. Um, but they make this little incision, right? But it's got to be in the right spot. 
because they got to get the instruments inside to do what they need to do. It's got to be precise, right? When they cut out my gallbladder, what if they cut my leg open? They tried to get my gallbladder from my leg, they're going to have a problem. Just imagine that. I had one of the worst things I ever went through was vein stripping. Anybody ever experienced that? Oh, that's real fun, but I had to have several veins in my leg stripped. Um, yeah, I, I'm falling apart, guys. I know I'm not that old, but over the years, when, but what if they were going to strip the veins in my right leg and they accidentally sliced into my right arm? Wrong place. The Word of God not only does it know where to cut, it knows how to cut. And it can do it with such precision that it can get in between your soul and spirit, between your bones and your marrow. It's so precise that it can reach through and penetrate those parts of us that we can't even discern ourselves. The Word has a way of getting inside of us to do God's work in us by the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a way that nothing else can. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, chapter 2, verse 12, and chapter 19, verse 15, Right, three verses. It says, Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. See, Jesus is the word. Jesus uses the word as a weapon. Matthew chapter 4 describes that to us. And so can we. Ephesians 6, 17 tells us to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, even though this is our offensive weapon, we do not use it to attack each other. And we really shouldn't even use it to attack non-believers. Right? We share it with non-believers in the hope that God will use it to bring them to salvation. We share it with one another, maybe because we want to encourage one another. Or maybe we have to rebuke somebody who we love because they're going down the wrong path. Or maybe we want to instruct somebody. But I'm not going to use it, hopefully, to cut you. Now, if God uses it to cut you, that's between me and him. Because he does that to me all the time. But who do we use it against? Well, we use it against our very real enemy who wants to destroy us, who wants to distract us, who wants to tear us apart. And so when he comes to us, we do the same thing that Jesus did. When he comes to us and says, you're worthless, then I can take the word of God and say, well, I'm worth the blood of Christ because he sent his son to die for me. When the Bible says, Aha, not the Bible, when the enemy comes and says, you're a failure, well, I can come and I can say, I have victory in Christ Jesus. When the Bible says, or, gosh, I keep doing that. You guys know what I mean. When the devil comes and says to you, you'll never win. Because you're weak. 
And I can come back with the word of God and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When the devil says you're alone, I can come back with the word of God that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. All right, we can keep going. But when the devil attacks, fight back. And we fight back with this. What is the significance of it being two-edged? In a physical battle, a two-edged sword is more deadly. A two-edged sword can pierce armor. It can allow you to make cutting strokes in any direction. Right? So if you imagine a one-edged sword, you swing one way, you'd have to turn the sword around in order to swing the other way. With a two-edged sword, you wouldn't have to do that. And this explains to me why the word of God, the word Jesus uses as a weapon, and the weapon he has given us, along with prayer, of course, is double-edged. Because God wants us to have a more effective weapon. And this means to us that the word of God can comfort, but it can also confront. The word of God can wound, but it can also heal. The word of God can tear down, but it can also build up. The word of God can attack, and the word of God can defend. The word of God can hold back, and it can push forward. The word of God can condemn those who refuse to come to Christ as Savior, but at the same time, those of us who come to Christ, the word of God sets us free. We cannot ever overestimate the word of God's place in our lives, in our faith, in our walk with Christ. We can't. Finally, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word discerner here is kritikos, and it means discriminative, decisive, and critical. What is the word decisive and critical of? Our thoughts, what we think and ponder, and our intents, the position of our intellect or our motives of our heart. Why? Why is this so important? Why do we need something that can discern what we think and what motivates us. Why do we need that? Well, because Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 reminds us that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God says in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. I said this to somebody once, that your heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. And they got mad at me. That, that can't be true. I said, well, it says so in the Bible. No, it doesn't. I shared them with John. I shared them Je Jeremiah 17, 9. And they said, well, I don't believe it. I don't know about you. I know how wicked my heart is. I tell people, and besides God, the only person who even comes close is my wife. But if you all could look inside here, you'd leave. Not always pretty. Because I know the things I think. I don't always say them. But I know the things I think. I know how wicked my heart can be. 
That's why we need our Savior who can take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, who can see what's in here. He can see the evil of my thoughts, the wickedness of my motivations, and he can redeem them. He can buy me back to himself and make me right with him. I can't do that. That's why we should pray what Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The song we sang today, Only Hope, there's a line in it about being the chief of sinners. Paul said that about himself. I personally say that about myself. Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And it's not because I, I know my heart better than God, but because God has revealed my heart to me through his word. I know what I am. And I know the only thing that can save me is the blood of Christ. That's how we're saved. We all are. You included. I love you. God loves you. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. But he did that because he understands our wickedness and knew we couldn't save ourselves. And the word of God can reveal that to us. Feel encouraged? Well, it's about to get better. Because verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What this means is there is nothing in all of creation that is not clearly manifest to God. All things are fully exposed to the eyes of God to whom we must give an account. We must give an account to him of all of our thoughts, all of our actions, and all of our motives. This really should be a wake-up call for each of us. Because there's nothing that we think, and there's nothing that we do that God doesn't know. There is no motivation for the things that we think, or the things that we do, that God doesn't know. That one's fun for me. But there are times when I do something, boy, it looks good. I say the right thing to the right person at the right time, or I commit an act of service where to everybody around me, everybody looking at me goes, oh, wow, look at, look at that act of love or that act of sacrifice. And inside, I'm angry about it. I don't want to do it. I do it because I'm supposed to, not because I want to. I do it because I feel like it's an obligation, not as an act of love. Now, that, that doesn't apply to any of you. When you call or text me, it's always an act of love. When I call or text back. Or, you know, lying is wrong. The Bible says that too, so I, I probably shouldn't have said that. But the reality is, if you think you're getting away with something, you're not. 
You never will. Neither will I. This is also extremely comforting to me. Because this also means that God is always keeping a watchful and loving eye upon us. It means that nothing we think or do with right or wrong motivation ever escapes his awareness. Not just the big things, but the littlest things. Not just the big worries, but the littlest worries. Not just the big sins, but the littlest sins. Not just the big acts of love or kindness or compassion, but even the little ones. Good or bad, he knows it all. And I love that. There's no point in hiding it from him or trying to hide it from him. You ever, you ever meet somebody who's trying to hide something from God? Right? I can hide something from you. You can hide stuff from me. I've tried to hide stuff from my wife. That doesn't work. She finds out. I haven't done that in a long time, just so you know. But there were times in our marriage where I thought, where did you do this? Now I'm just like, hey, guess what I did? <laughs> Most of the time, she doesn't even have to guess. There's just no point in trying to hide it from God. I remember when I was a young believer, I would try to pray like God didn't already know. Like God didn't know the thought that I had or the, the glance that I gave or the angry word that I had spoken. Well, Lord, I've been pretty good this week. No, you haven't. Now, and I'm so grateful because of the freedom that it brings. Because now I come to God and pray, Lord, you already know. Man, I blew it. I blew it with that conversation. Or I blew it with when, when I was supposed to be loving somebody and I just didn't want to. I'm sorry. So much easier. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I love that verse. Right? We don't have a lot of memory verses out of the Chronicles very often, but that's one that you should put in your heart. His eyes are looking everywhere for what? How he can be strong for us. Oh, what a beautiful thing. First Peter 3.12, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's quoted from Psalm 34. But his eyes are on us. Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount that a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky and he doesn't know it. And back then you, they would sell sparrows. They were actually a food source. But for two pennies, the equivalent of two cents. And he says, don't you know you're of much greater value than they are? But it's because we will be accountable to him. Now, this accountability doesn't mean we earn our salvation by our good works. Right? I've got to make sure you know that. I say it all the time. Saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. Right? So we can't boast. But it doesn't mean that the things we do, we won't have to answer for. Right? Not so that we can be judged and spend eternity in hell or heaven. That's not what we're being judged for. But he'll judge our actions and motives for our reward in heaven. Matthew 12, 33 to 37 says, 
Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit, brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That should really scare the snot out of each and every one of us. I have said a lot of idle words. And the word idle there means worthless. You ever said something worthless? Said something to somebody else? Said something to yourself? I have. I have this week. Have I today? Maybe. But I have this week. One day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to answer for that. Now, it's not going to determine my place in heaven or hell. That was determined by Christ on the cross and my faith in him, for which I am so grateful. But one day I'll stand before God and he'll go, remember that one? Luke 8, 17, that nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known. I say this, we have to give an account to him. My suggestion, give the account now. Repent of it now. It's just easier. As we close, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. That's our verses, Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 in the New Living Translation. See, the word of God must have the place of prominence in our lives as followers of we, of course, put Jesus first. But according to John 1, 1 through 5, Jesus is the word. So putting Jesus first in our lives means prioritizing the word of God. Because when we prioritize the word of God, we will know how to put Jesus first in our lives. The Bible says in Matthew six thirty three, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. How do we seek first his kingdom? We seek him in his word. Have I made that point today? Is anybody going to go home thinking, you know, I wonder what he really thinks about the place the word of God should have in our lives. I hope not. I think it's important that we understand the word of God. I think it's important that the, un that the word of God has a place of prominence, has the place of prominence in our lives. Now, does that mean you can't read other books? No, you should. I read other books. Does that mean you can't, you know, watch TV? I watch TV. But that means that this book should always come first. First thing I do in the morning is make a cup of coffee. So that I'm awake enough to read the Word. 
But we need the word of God. We need to unleash the word of God in our lives. We need to unleash the power of God's word in our lives. And we can't do that if we don't get into it. If we don't study it. If we don't spend time with it. So three things that we can take home with us. First and foremost. The word will expose to anyone listening by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us our need for Christ. When it says that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, that it divides between soul and spirit and bone and marrow, the first thing that the word exposes, the first thing that the word discerns is our need for Jesus. So if there's anyone listening, anybody here who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, let the word of God produce faith in you right now to believe in Jesus and to respond to his offer of the free gift of salvation. For those of us who are followers of Christ, we need to let the word of God discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. When God does this, we need to respond appropriately. So when the word of God reveals something that God wants us to do, then we obey it. When the word of God reveals something that God doesn't want us to do, we repent of it. Whatever it is that the Spirit is prompting you or I to do through the word of God, we must respond. And finally, we need to make the word of God a greater priority in our lives. So what does that mean for you? I don't know. Do you read the Bible every day? If you do, great. If you don't, that's a good place to start. Just open it. If anybody listening doesn't know where to start, book of John. Always a great place to start. All right? You read the Bible every day. Awesome. Do you listen to what it says? Maybe that's the next step. Maybe, yeah, I read the Bible every day, but I'm, I'm just, you know, is the spirit, am I thinking about it? God's working in my heart. Maybe I'm not always listening to what it says. That's my next step. Or maybe you can say, no, but I do read it. And, and when I read it, I, I do, hopefully by the power of the Holy Spirit, try to listen to what it says. Great. Are you studying it? Now, this is a little unfair for me. I get paid to study it. But I studied it before I got paid. Because it's, you've got to get in there. You've got to take it apart. You've got to understand what it says and what it means and why it says it. That's on all of us. I can't do that for you. I can give you a bit of it on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but I can't do that for you. And if you need help with it, oh, please come see me. I love to teach people how to study this book. It's so much fun. Right? What about memorizing it? Do you have a cache that you can draw from when you need to wield your sword? Just, just imagine you're going into battle and your sword's in your tent. Right? You're in trouble if you forget your sword. But when you memorize it, it's all yours. Or meditate on it. Do you ever just sit and think about a specific verse in the Bible? Just sit there and, and chew on it? And chew on it again and again and again. Most importantly, we have to apply it. And then we share it with others. I know, there's a lot in there. But whatever it is you need to do next, do it now. If you're like, yeah, I don't always read the Bible every day. We'll start there. 
I read the Bible every day, but I'm not always listening to it. Start there. You need to learn how to study it. You need to learn how to apply it. Maybe you got to start putting a verse. Um, I put them on uh, a three-by-five card. You know, I have them taped up in my house or sitting on my desk in my office. Or I use them as a bookmark for verses I want to memorize. However it works for you, do it. My question is, how will you do this this week? Right? Not some big future plan. You don't go, all right, well, I'm going to read the whole Bible in the next month. No, you won't. I'm going to memorize the whole book of John. No, you won't. I'm going to start reading a chapter a day. Oh, there you go. I'm going to make it my goal to memorize one verse a month or one verse a week. Awesome. I'm going to learn how to take a passage apart so I can understand it better. Great. Not huge, lofty goals. But pick one and take that step. That's my encouragement to you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you that it can and does discern those things in our hearts. Help each of us, Lord, to take a greater step towards intimacy with you as we become intimately acquainted with your word. May you be glorified in all we do in Jesus' name.